On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Krishna Ramaswamy. He is the Director of Strategy and Analytics at EverQuote. The bulk of this podcast is going to be about the analytics skills gap, right? What I mean is, you know, we've seen a change in an evolution in the analytics role, whether you're, you know, focused on the consumer, a specific vertical, whatever it is, the analytics role, the skills required to be successful is shifting. And uh, Krishna has a great experience building out teams, um, you know, different sized different companies along the analytics line. And yeah, I want to get his input in terms of what he sees about that gap and how do you grow the talent? How do you bridge to kind of be able to add, um, add the right people to push capabilities forward in a business? So Krishna, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Amir. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for doing this. And I guess just um, for context for everyone, I know I introduced your title, but what is it that you do there at EverQuote? And tell us what EverQuote does and we'll jump right in. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we uh, start with what EverQuote does? I think the easiest way to describe EverQuote's business is where the lead gen insurance aggregation side of things. So we're trying to connect potential prospective customers who are looking for insurance with, on my side of the business, I'm looking specifically at agents, independent agents, or captive agents, or there's a couple of other ways that we can match them up with other enterprise type carriers as well. So yeah, traditional marketplace kind of business with a focus on insurance. And then in terms of my role specifically, as I mentioned, I'm focused particularly on the agency side of the business. So we're working with individuals who are either part of their own independent agency group, or they're part of one of the major captive carriers. You probably recognize names, so State Farm or Allstate or Farmers are really the big three players that have captive captive insurance agents. And so we're working to try to connect them with consumers that are in market. So in terms of what my roles and responsibilities are, I got brought in to take over What was our strategy and operations team? And we're trying to, I think, move to take on a little bit more of a quantitatively rigorous role. So it's transitioning to a strategy and analytics team. And really, it it runs a gamut in terms of what we're responsible for. So we're a very data-driven organization. And in order for basically any project to get greenlit, you need to have a good sizing behind it. We need to understand what the revenue impact is. And ultimately, since EverQuote's ethos is around bootstrapping, you'll hear that phrase a lot if you talk to anybody from EverQuote. You know, we really don't want to take outside investment in. We want to be able to fund our projects by the virtue of them being unit economically profitable. So a lot of my team's work is focused on exactly that, understanding what the unit economics are for a given opportunity. And then once we quantify that, we're really running the whole show. We, we get to take ownership. It's not, I think, a traditional analytics team in the sense that we're just coming in as a consultant. We actually get to get our hands dirty a little bit more and um, execute against project plans. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, your role is integral. But, you know, obviously, director of strategy is, uh, you know, part of strategy is part of being a director of strategy and wearing the analytics hat as well. I mean, when you're looking at, you know, I think we talked about it before and off there about, you know, some of the challenges around finding the right type of analytics skill set and 
and some of the challenges that's kind of forcing you and your team to have to kind of look for different types of people. I mean, I guess when you're looking to, you know, grow your team and you're looking to add, you know, people to your team, what are some of the basic challenges and pains that you're seeing to being able to add headcount? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the biggest areas that's tricky to evaluate and then once you're in practice to figure out how to cultivate and grow is, is the balance between having this more academic or technical skill set versus kind of more of a pragmatic, analytical, business-oriented mindset. And I think the way that we think about it at every level, you know, whether you're an analyst, senior analyst, principal, what have you, you're going to need to be able to pull from all of these different buckets, the technical side of things, the more analytical, data-oriented side of things, and understanding from like a business acumen standpoint why it matters what you're doing. And in each of the different roles that we try to hire for within the team, the goal is you need to meet a minimum baseline at each of those points, but then it's a question of where do we want to over-index? And I think that that's really where a lot of the challenge comes in is if you generically are asking, hey, I just want an analyst, you really need to put some thought into what the trade-offs are. Because yes, I mean, every now and then you get lucky, you find a unicorn that really excels in all three of those areas. But the reality is that oftentimes you're, you're making a trade-off for somebody that excels in one or two of those areas, but maybe doesn't you know, really have strengths in the third area. I think what's interesting about that, you mentioned you know, finding the unicorn. I had somebody on the security podcast uh, episode talk about trying to avoid looking for the unicorns because it's almost easier finding different people with different skill sets versus trying to find that one person that might cut across like uh, <laughs> the two, three hats they need to wear. I mean, what are your, like when you're looking at that and you're you know looking at candidates and you're like, well, this person's you know obviously good at this and this person's good at that. And is looking for the unicorn kind of, do you get lost in the weeds with that? Or is it a conscious thing of going, hey, I got to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm addressing the right skill for the right person. Yeah, I mean, it's always the balance between how much time do you have available to get that position hired versus what you're willing to sacrifice, right? I think historically, I've had good success where I've tried to build teams out in a complementary fashion. I think that was very much true of the team that I built out at TripAdvisor, where I hired three senior analysts within my first three or four months. And each of them had very specific advantages in terms of where they were strong at. And, and it was a very complementary group, right? So one of them was more strategic in the way that they were thinking about the product. Another one was more technical and more quantitative. And another one was very good at BI. So between the three of them, I could kind of divide and conquer and distribute the projects in a way that we could really utilize each of their strengths. That being said, you know, as we continue to grow and scale, like one of the big challenges there was that now I didn't have the ability to then delegate so rigidly between each of the members of the team, which means that they had to get trained up in all the other aspects of the role, right? So I think that developmental process too, right? That's one of the things that we had just talked about off air was around that developmental gap that starts to come into play, right? I think a lot of places, and you know, from my experience, are really good at developing candidates to a senior analyst type of level 
you know, you're, you're in that sweet spot of probably five to eight years of experience. You know, you've been exposed to enough different types of problems that you have a pretty good toolkit. So if you're facing those similar types of challenges, you're, you can tackle them in a, in a good way. But I think the real challenge is for that analyst to take that next step is to understand how to transfer that skill set into novel domains. And I think you had asked a question a while ago around, you know, what is it that I really look for when I'm trying to interview? And I think one of the big things is trying to assess how good somebody is at solving problems that don't have a black and white answer and that, you know, you're, you're in something of a nebulous space. And so that's something that I spend a lot of time in my interview process trying to understand is how you take on those kinds of problems, knowing that, you know, there isn't going to be a clean academic solution 99% of the time, because if there were, the problem wouldn't be where, you know, we wouldn't have to be solving that problem, right? That's usually where my team would get brought in to really harness the brain power and try to come up with a new solution. And that makes perfect sense, I think, in terms of... um... You know, obviously you hired in three people, different skill sets. They all have to kind of pick up some of the other skills to kind of build out and build into, you know, a more well-rounded team, I should say, for lack of a better word. But, you know, I guess what what I've been seeing is the evolution of, you know, all these direct-to-consumers and SaaS type companies that want to get into the analytics and measure, you know, the customer. and, And they're all looking at, you know, LTV and attribution models. And you look at the analyst skill set and you're like, well, you know, not everyone's had that exposure. And unless you're in that environment, you're not going to get that exposure. There quickly becomes a challenge of, let's say you're an analyst, you, you, you have the Python skills and you want to get into something else. Obviously, you, you were working you know, at TripAdvisor and, and, and you guys probably want to look at similar problems. How does somebody make that move? Because obviously part of the, the gap we're seeing in skills is some people just haven't developed those skill sets yet. I mean, just it's not a, that as mature a market as you know other maybe analyst type roles in in the data space. So, in, in terms of, I mean, I, I think I probably took the path that you're describing, where I was a little bit less technical to start with. My first couple of jobs were in in finance and marketing, and you know, it wasn't focused on big data analytics. And actually, that was one of the major reasons that I decided to go to TripAdvisor, where I knew that they had a wealth of data. I mean, when we're talking about 400 million unique visitors on a monthly basis, right? So I think it's less to me about the technical skills and more about understanding when to use the right tool in in your toolkit at the right time. And I think that's where, you know, there are some huge challenges, right? I've worked with some very intelligent people, but there are times where they want to take a complex problem and have this robust academic solution to it. And you kind of start spiraling in the wrong direction. And it's really hard to get a viable answer that the business needs in a timely manner. Right. And to me, that's less about the technical chops and being able to go into the data and manipulate it. I mean, yes, obviously at a certain level, you need to be able to go and use the tools necessary to get the data and especially with some of these large data sets to do it in a way that you know you're not going to blow up your entire server but at the same time i think most of the time the bigger gap that has emerged for me and especially as i've gotten more senior is translating the complexity of what the analysis requires to something that's simple and usable right and i think that's where that jump in business acumen is almost more important to me in a lot of cases than i think to your point too, you're seeing a lot more 
I'm going to say kids, I'm not that old, but kids coming out of school that really are getting trained well, right? Like it, CS and machine learning is now pretty standard course, right? In terms of people understanding, hey, there's lots of jobs out there that are going to use this. So a, a lot of times when, when I've done campus recruiting and things like that, you know, those are the kinds of conversations that I'm like, yeah, get enough technical foundation that you can go in there and be dangerous with the data. But then really it's about getting expertise, understanding like what's going on within your industry, the types of ways to solve the problems that you're approaching. Because at the end of the day, you can have a great machine learning model, but if you're pulling in the wrong data or you're making bad assumptions, it's garbage in and garbage out, right? And that really doesn't benefit anyone. Interesting. I guess, you know, the one aspect of, uh, I don't know if you mentioned on or off air, but you were mentioning about the gap to, you know, becoming that more senior, becoming more of a, you know, lead or taking on more responsibilities, the business acumen. When you're, you know, trying to mentor somebody on your team, and obviously, you know, let's say they, well, they could be more technical, less technical, it doesn't matter. To kind of set those, you know, parameters for them to kind of progress through those gates and hit their, you know, try to get to that next level. How does that conversation go for you? Because obviously, you know, the skill set of an analyst and how much business acumen you pick up are, are kind of not necessarily one and the same, but to get to that next level, you do need to be able to translate more complex, you know, business requirements into those analytics. Yeah. I mean, to be blunt, it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) Especially you kind of have to tailor the curriculum to where each individual you're working with is where their strengths are and where maybe they're not quite as strong, right? Like I, I think a lot of my approach there is trying to get the person to then ask the next set of obvious questions. And when I say obvious, I I don't mean obvious in the sense of, you know, that they're truly obvious. It's more obvious in the sense of, all right, you're taking this line of thought from point A to point B to point C. So if you're then going to present that to somebody more senior than you that has a broader view of the business and is trying to employ this data in an actionable way, you know, what do you think point D is going to be? What do you think point E is going to be? And try to start answering those questions and getting to the so what, even kind of before you have that presentation, right? Don't let me or that person ask you that next series of questions. And usually if you start thinking with that frame of mind and you have that approach, your analysis gets a whole lot better too, because you're going to catch a lot of those, again, garbage in, garbage out mistakes where you made a bad assumption. And because of that, the rest of the data that you analyze doesn't make any sense, right? It, if you don't approach it with the sense of, all right, how am I going to apply this to the business and why does this matter? And how is this going to be used? In a lot of cases, you're not going to catch those types of mistakes. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, I think I had somebody on from, uh, was a VP of data science and recommendation engine. And we were talking about how integral some of the strategy has become. And, you know, you know, obviously there's a chief data officer, chief analytics officer, and kind of sitting at that top level and at the strategic level that you, you have a role as well in that function uh, forever quote, but the more data we're providing, the more analytics we're providing, it's becoming just more strategic towards a PNL and people are starting to have to uplift both on the technical side to be able to, you know, build the more complex, you know, analytics, but also the business side has to kind of continue to uplift as well, which is obviously, you know, very challenging in these kind of hybrid roles. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you're spot on there. And I can speak for my own career development. There's been, I would say, a number of interviews that I've been on over the years where 
there were times where I walked into a room and, and I thought I understood the mandate that was given to me in terms of what I was supposed to be presenting, what I was supposed to be talking to. And now in retrospect, you know, five or seven years later, I'm looking back at a lot of those interviews and rethinking and I'm understanding the types of mistakes that I generally made usually had very little to do with the analytical portion of the work that I presented, right? Like in general, it was much more not understanding the strategic framework that was important, not understanding the right areas that I should have focused on from a prioritization standpoint in terms of really being able to take ownership in it, to your words, you know, there aren't that many analysts that really own a PL and run with it. And I think that was one of the reasons why the opportunity here at Everquote has been so interesting for me so far is we really have an opportunity, even as analysts, to take a stake and, and to be able to own parts of the PL, if not even more than that. And that forces you to have a lot more of that analytical rigor, but within the broader context of what you need to accomplish from a business perspective. I think it's, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, I, I was in the BI space uh, a while ago and uh, what you guys can do now makes that BI work look very trivial. And I think it's just the complexity of business in terms of, you know, the different data sources, the different business questions trying to be answered, the different just visibility and depth that you have now just is, it's a different skill set, which I think translates to why like a analytics role and when we get analytics roles, I always tell the hiring manager, this is going to be hard. It's going to take us quite a number of candidates because it's not just the technical skill set. It's going to be how are they you know, looking at your data? Can they Are they going to be looking at it the right way? And I think it's as complex to me as anything on the engineering side and definitely a massive evolution in terms of you know, where it's been. I think it's actually going to get... you know Where it's going is going to be really interesting because I think it's becoming more and more integral to every company's decision-making process, obviously. And I think, you know, one of the other things as I've grown up through the analytics org that's become really important is prioritization. Just in general, I think the more senior I've got, the more I've started to care about process. And it's because of the complexity of the work that we were doing, it's very easy to one, either get distracted or to kind of go down a rabbit hole in a, in a way that's not productive especially in those more complex projects where there isn't really a clear answer of, hey, this is exactly what we're trying to get out of this. That pre-planning work of writing a project plan, really sticking to your guns on what your milestones should be, and then reevaluating after the fact to understand, all right, do I need to do more here? It has become so much more important. And I would say that that's probably something that'll save a lot of analytics teams is just really focusing on cutting down on scope bleed. Because again, in general, I would say I've never been to a place where analytics is not the bottleneck, right? So you're always going to be an overutilized resource. So the more that you can control where your scope bleed is and remove that from the equation, the more effective you're going to be. Absolutely. Man, I, I was looking at the time. I'm like, I, I know we have a uh, coming up to the end of our uh, recording session. I was going to say we could keep diving into this and peel back the ending because I think it's a really interesting area and the complexities around it. But uh, thanks for coming on and uh, sharing. And I was going to ask, is LinkedIn a good medium if somebody you know listens and has a follow-up question? You, are you okay with the LinkedIn outreach? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, man. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for hosting, Mir. Really enjoyed our chat. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's it for this session. 
Again, thanks, uh, Christian, for being on. And we'll be back again, another topic. And in the meantime, two things I always ask for you guys at the end of the podcast, you probably all know this already, is topics. If you guys have any topics you want to hear about, keep you know hitting me up on LinkedIn. It's a great place to get those to me. And the other one is you know subscribe to the podcast. If you know someone that could benefit the pro- from hearing the, a topic, you know, sharing it's, uh, it's an awesome way. We're seeing the podcast grow and it's kind of exciting. And I, I appreciate it. Thanks.